The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Before we get into uh, Exodus today, let me pray for our sermon time that the Holy Spirit would um, align us to His will. Father, we thank you for the Bible. May we never take it for granted as we have lives and uh, form families and neighborhoods and churches around the truths of old. Uh, thank you that we have this. And to, to think of the opposite of just the chaos of every person just doing what was right in their own eyes without a guidance. Um, we see that around us, Father. But you have saved and protected so many of us. You have saved us out of that chaotic lifestyle and father i pray that we daily uh think of your word we 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 meditate we rest upon it we need it we stand on it um, but even as we spend 30 minutes or so here on these sunday mornings uh, in our church service and read it together my hope father is that you would uh, encourage us to know it and want it even more and father my desire is that you would be enjoyed today that your word will be loved and consumed and treasured like honey. And may it change us for your glory. Amen. So we are in Exodus 2. So as you are turning there, maybe there's a Bible in front of you. You want to turn there. You brought a Bible. You're going to it on your phone. We also often will have the Bible verses up on the screen. We are in a series through the book of Exodus uh, called Pursuing God. We have a God who pursues, but he also wants us to uh, run after him. Uh, and when we jump into a, a, you know, a midway through a chapter or something, it's always a good idea to kind of uh, be reminded just for a minute or so what is going on. So just opening up Exodus, the headings here in the ESV, ESV it says, is Israel increases greatly in Egypt. So what's the story there? Well, in Genesis, we have the story of Israel being named and the 12 tribes of Israel and Joseph being sent to Egypt to save the world from a famine, and now all of Israel went there to be with Joseph. They kind of had like the, uh, the insider leader there. You guys know what that's like going to a restaurant or a business that your family works at. That's what's going on, right? So they all move to Egypt because they have a guy there that's going to help save their family. He, there's food there, and people like food, right, especially when there's a famine going on. So Israel in Egypt for 400 years God's blessing this family, and they're having lots and lots of children. So much so that the next heading in the ESV says, Pharaoh oppresses Israel. So now we are looking at a season where Pharaoh feels there's tension there. There's like, there's a lot of them that aren't Egyptians here. They may take over. They may, if we get invaded, they may actually side with the invaders. So I'm going to impress them and make them work hard as slaves. And that doesn't stop them. They still continue to grow. And then Pharaoh says, well, I'm going to start killing the boys. So they are not strong anymore. We can still have some of them. The ladies are great. We're not going to let them have this future army here. So we're going to start killing the boys. One of those boys is a guy named Moses. But instead of being killed, the mother puts Moses in a basket, a little ark, puts down the river, and Pharaoh's daughter finds this little Hebrew baby, has compassion on him, ends up um, spending some more time with his mother, but then being raised in Pharaoh's palace. So the key of Exodus, the key figure we're going to keep looking at here is Moses. He has been born, 
He has been already sent down the Nile in a basket hoping for salvation. God saves him for, of course, a big, big deliverance coming soon to a church service near you. And uh, we find Exodus 2.11 picking up uh, where time has passed 40 years. Okay, so Moses is 40. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. So Hebrew is the people group of Israel. Moses is an Israelite that has grown up in the palace of Egypt from the story I just told you. So he's seeing an Egyptian, the family that he's growing up in, beating a Hebrew, one of his people of his race. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. Well, that story picked up quick, right? A few sentences before, he was a baby in a basket. And now he's a 40-year-old man killing an Egyptian who was beating up a Hebrew. I want to begin with just recognizing when we read ancient texts. This is ancient. This is old, right? This, this is 1,500 years before Jesus. So this is 3,500 years old text. We need to recognize the messages that are told and retold and written down by the, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit are, are what the stuff we need. Now, all of us would love to read the story. What are those 40 years like, right? Of course, Hollywood has made some pictures. You know, there's some ideas of what could have happened, but they're all a guess. But this is what... God wants us to know now. And in these details, that's what we're going to be looking at today. The life of Moses is key to the Jewish religion. And it's key to the Christian religion because it's key to the Jewish religion. The way that we see the New Testament written, the way that we live as Christians, is we are adopted into this family. So when we read of this book, read of, we read this book, Exodus, of the man Moses, we need to recognize this is a giant in our faith. And as Jews through the years have told their history from one generation to the next, we need to recognize that the story of Exodus wasn't just Moses experiencing it. These, there's thousands and Possibly hundreds of thousands of families experienced the actions of this book. So when you read the text and you see what has, what has continued from generation to generation, and you think through just in the books of, book of Exodus, we have the Israelites being murdered and enslaved by Egypt. It's not their land. That's a story to tell kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and beyond. But then what happens next? Well, you have 10 plagues of Egypt that are coming up in Exodus from God himself. Then we have the Passover 
of the angel during the 10th plague. And then we have Moses at Mount Sinai talking to God about what are the laws of God's people. And then we have pillars of fire and smoke guiding their people group through the desert for years. And we have a tabernacle that's being built and carried, the first synagogue, if you will. This is not just Moses experiencing. This is hundreds of thousands of people. And as these are told over and over again, we find the references in the Scriptures. And today I want to look at uh, a sermon by a guy named Stephen, who he spoke and Luke recorded it in Acts. So we have a sermon in the Bible that's a little closer than today, like me in 2022 reading an ancient text of 1,500 years. We actually have Stephen, a leader in the church, somebody that Acts describes as so wise that people could not argue with him and win, so much so the only way they could get rid of Stephen was lie about him. Does that sound familiar? The only way they could get rid of Stephen is lie about him, so they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard Stephen speak against the laws of Moses and the teachings of Moses. So in Acts 7, we have a recorded speech of Stephen basically preaching through Exodus. It's a chapter. Now, these are his last words. Stephen literally gets stoned to death by the people after he finishes his sermon. I hope that we don't reenact that today. Okay. Not worried. I'm just, I would run really fast. <laughs> My hope is, is that you would see these parallel passages today and recognize that when we read Scripture and Scripture interprets Scripture, that you recognize there is a key author in the Bible, and it's God himself. And even though it's thousands of years later, God is still choosing to tell the story of him pursuing mankind. We have a God who pursues. So if you read along with me, a couple paragraphs in Acts. This is Stephen. These are his last words. And he describes, because they said he was speaking against Moses, he decides to use Moses as a major part of his last sermon. Here's a little review for us, as you have already heard from me. Acts 7, 17. But at, as the time of the promise drew near, this is the middle of his sermon, by the way, God had granted to Abram, Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born. He was beautiful in God's sight. He was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed. Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing no one of them being wronged, he and seeing no one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. 
He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And at this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So you can see the story. It's very similar to the Exodus story, but there's other things that their words and traditions that were passed along in their families about how Moses was talked about. Moses was cherished. He was a giant in their faith. So as we see these in parallel, what do we see? Moses is 40. We find that. And some of you guys, let's pause for a second. We think about numbers in the Bible, and we want timelines. We want the map to be, like, drawn by the Holy Spirit, right, in the back, right? Here's the thing, is numbers in the Bible are for reference often, to let us know this is basically what's happening. But if Moses is 39, 41, 31, it's not the point. It's not the main point. Moses did not write his age when he wrote Exodus. But Stephen, when he references back, he says, Moses was 40. And you're thinking, okay. Well, at 80, we're going to learn next week about the burning bush situation. Remember the bushes on fire talking? Come for that. That's exciting, right? Next week, that happened. Moses is 80 when he goes and talks to Pharaoh and the burning bush and all those things. 80. So he's 40 in this scenario. He leaves Egypt. He's 80 when, when um, he meets Pharaoh. Guess how old he is when he dies? 120. That makes sense, right? You have an oral culture. You're telling stories. But it doesn't mean the Bible's wrong if he was 41. Or if you read somewhere, he actually was probably 28. Okay, let's move on with what God's trying to tell us in the Bible. Can we just understand that when we read numbers in the Bible? Or if you see one section there was 2,000 men, another section there was uh, 1,000 men and women or something like that. Maybe that wasn't the, the, uh, their iPhone and counting wasn't like what they had then. But they're like, there was a dang lot of people across that way. And God showed up. Like, that's the point, okay? So that was a little caveat. None of that's written down, okay? But 40, Stephen's fine. The Jews were passing that on down. Stephen, in his, in Luke's saying, Stephen was speaking by the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit might have decided to fix that if he wanted to, but he didn't. I think it's okay, right? When Jesus quotes Moses and he says, Moses wrote the Torah, and then we read, Moses isn't even born yet, or Moses is dead. How did that get written? You know, it's like, it's okay. Jesus is like, these are the books of Moses, okay? I'm sure there's lots of stories, lots of ways the Holy Spirit worked that out. But my hope for you to recognize is, we're just going to say Moses is 40, and the 40-year-olds in the room be like, all right, I kind of get an idea. I've been 40. I know what 40 feels like. You guys who are 16 and stuff, you're like, I'm not 40. I wonder, I wonder if I'm 40, if God's going to do something big for my life. Those who are 95, you're like, maybe I'm going to live to 120. I don't know. Maybe. Right? So my hope for you this, this morning as we read the books, the book of Exodus, and you get caught up in some commentary, you get caught up in hearing another sermon, or you yourself read something, and we maybe have a difference of opinion about a, a component like this, can we just have grace 
in unity because the point is God is pursuing his people, okay? What's the heart that Stephen said? Well, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, so we got to suggest that um, this people group that could build pyramids and uh, gargantuan structures that all of us with all of our current technology couldn't do, <laughs> probably, because we're not trained in this. You know, it's like these guys are smart. They know math. They're doing things that we think maybe aliens came and helped them. Like, that's how complicated some of this stuff is. This is Moses' school. And what about Moses? Well, he was mighty in his words, in his deeds. So he had, a, he had a voice. He's growing up basically like a grandson of the Pharaoh. And then when Moses came into his heart, this is what's shared by Stephen, something in his heart um, happened, or in Exodus, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. Um, this, guy, this word looked is to see with compassion. That's the word looked. It's not just he glanced out from a distance. He, he wanted to, like, get down and, and see what is happening to the Hebrews. Many of us in the room have experienced this contrast, right, between looking and then looking, looking. <laughs> this word looked is about the heart. It's about truly seeing. It's about there's a feeling involved. And maybe you have heard or maybe you've been something in your life where you, you, you knew of a, a situation happening and you saw it on social media, maybe you're on television, and you're like, huh, that's bad. If you ask me factually, that's bad. I'm, that's, that's bad that that happened. But say, for example, a tornado hits North Kansas City and you hear about it. And you don't just go, that's bad. You go, on Saturday, I'm going to drive up there. Right? Maybe even in some, with some intent to help with a truck. And you go up there and you begin meeting people and you, you begin looking. And it's not just trash on the ground or a flipped over car. It's people that have nothing left and you see eyes. Right? You, you look. You biblically look and feel and you care. And maybe from that Saturday, you call your boss and you say, I'm going to be out next week. I'm going to help out the Jensen's. They don't have anything. Does that make sense? There's a looking that moves us. Or maybe you hear about there's thousands of kids. Hundreds of thousands of kids around the world who don't have a home, and you've decided to do something more than just hear about it. That you say, hey, is there an orphanage in Kansas City, or is there an orphanage overseas, or is there a, a foster facility that I could go and meet some kids? And as you go, you look, and you, you see eye to eye with people, these little people, and maybe from that interaction, you, your life's different. You choose to give money to help with foster care or adoption, locally or internationally. Maybe even you look at your home office and go, this could be a bed for one of these kids. And you open up your life to a kid temporarily, 
with foster care for the rest of your life with adoption. We lost one of our members this week. And, and families, I'm sorry I brought this up, and I'm sorry I'm tearing up so much because I know you, we just mourned on Friday. But uh, Mike Lewis, as Jenny shared from this very spot Friday, once his heart was opened up, he lived the rest of his life caring for his kids and his grandkids that were adopted. And probably dozens of opportunities where he gave money away that none of us will ever know about for this need. Mike allowed himself to see that his heart was changed and he lived differently because of it. So, Moses, whew, Moses, he decided to say, I'm going to step out of the palace. I want to see my people. And he looked. And he looked and he saw. So this is our first point for today. You guys are going, are we having any points today? So point number one today. God's people should make steps to see and feel. So if you're taking notes or, and you lock these things in your mind, kind of where we're going today. God's people should make steps to see and feel. How much are you protecting yourself from caring? What steps are you choosing to stay away? Because you know God might call you to something big. Some of you go know, some of you guys know Rivers my story. I was a youth pastor out south, loved my job. I had this really great kid in my youth group named Joel. He was amazing. Everything was perfect. And a lady just said, hey, will you come and do some missions work in Thailand for a couple weeks? We need a youth pastor over here to work with missionary kids. So I go and I work with missionary kids who live in the 1040 window with um, just exclusively Muslim families. So these families are not Muslim. They're Christian. They're from all over the world, but they want to reach Muslims for Christ. And these are the kids of those parents and spending 14 days. Thanks, Rob. Spending 14 days um, with them allowed me to see, allowed me to feel. And in 2009, Rivers and I chose to go live overseas for, for four years. We didn't know it was going to be four years. Most missionaries don't know what the last day is. Sometimes it happens sooner than we want because of wars. But my hope is is that you would understand making this step to see and feel, it might change your life. But there's no time or perfect Johnson County life with perfect youth group that could ever compare to giving it all up to go and do what God wants. Friends in the room, you'll never be happy not doing what God wants you to do. You'll never be happy saying no to God. There's always going to be something there. There's no money or relationship that's going to fill that spot because you know God wants you to be doing something for Him. But many of us, we're kind of distant. We're not leaning in because we're, we're a little scared because you hear my silly story, right? Or many other stories in the room about you mean you went on a mission trip and then you felt like you had to move? Like, that was my story. Now, that's not everybody's story, but it's many people's story. 
most people who adopt kids first went to an adoption center. Most people who foster kids meet a foster kid. Most people who do big things with their life step out and look. And my hope is that we're a church and we're a friend group who encourages that all the time. That we love it. You don't have to always do the biggest thing. You don't have to take a week off of work to do this, but that you just went and looked. That's glorious. And then let God decide what the calling is in that situation. So God's people should make steps to see and feel. What else happened in this initial paragraph? Well, he saw injustice that led to a, a killing. And when you read it in Exodus, you're kind of like, what's happening there? It says beating, but that word beating in Hebrew also is translated beating to death. Not just like giving a few whips. It's mostly translated in the Bible as killing. So there was an Egyptian killing one of his brothers or beating him to death. And Moses steps in. And there's much debate on this situation. Was it justified or was it not? Was it murder? Was it Moses taking the law into his own hands as basically a child of Pharaoh? He does look left and right. But even that sentence means, was he looking for, is anybody going to help? So there was no one, as uh, Exodus is very clear. And Moses, with his Egyptian skills, he won that battle. And he ended up killing that guy. But how do the Jews tell that story? Was it a a false decision or a bad decision? Was it a wrong decision? It's a good question. It's not clear, but this is what Stephen said in his sermon. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and he avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. That sounds like a story we would tell, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like yeah, the Torah says this, but when I tell the story, Moses stepped in. And he avenged his people. But they weren't ready. They weren't ready for Moses' salvation yet. And there's still distance. Here in the story, there's still distance. Why? Because maybe Moses didn't come down very often to the Hebrew area, the Hebrew neighborhood. And this one-time effect actually caused a lot of trouble. Because clearly it was wrong to Pharaoh. Because what does Pharaoh want to do? Now kill his basically adopted grandson. Why? Well, we already know. Moses is doing the very thing that Pharaoh was scared of. What if the Hebrews grow up, have skills, and start killing us? You can't start this pattern happening and not kill the Hebrew who defended his own people. 
So Pharaoh wanted Moses dead. And then what did Moses do? We're going to talk about this some next week. Out of fear of man, Moses fled. He's feared for his own life. You hear Pharaoh wants you dead, you're like, okay, he's probably going to win this one. So he's off to Midian. But what have we learned so far? We've learned that Moses chose to step out. He saw, he felt, and now he acted. But there seems to be something missing in the story. As you read the story, there's something missing, and there's something that Moses and the Holy Spirit wants us to know in this story. He's going to spend 40 years in Midian before God speaks to him in that burning bush. What's God doing? He has a plan to work through Moses. And I think we can learn through good and bad and odd situations in the Bible. So our second point is this. God's people should act in God's timing and power. These chapters are really close together. The story goes really fast. Like It's almost like Moses wanted to get to the ten plagues. It's like, I'm not going to describe in paragraph after paragraph my 40 years in Midian. This happened, and then this happened. What's the difference? God wants to do big things through Moses, not kill one evil slave driver. So in Moses' power, what can he do? Stop one injustice. What does Moses do with God's power and timing? He frees the entire nation. So hope you come back. You get to hear all these stories of the power that God has. Moses' power gets about three sentences of the Bible. God's power gets an entire book. So we should see, we should feel, and we need to act. But that does not mean that we don't pause and we say, God, what do you want me to do? For our story, between going on a mission trip and moving to Budapest, Hungary, was over a year. I think it was like 14 months. Nothing fast happens. Those who want to adopt, working on adoption, the system actually makes you wait, and it's good. But may you seek God in your decisions. When you see an injustice, you feel the pull that you begin with God and godly people. Talk to those around you that you trust. And don't just talk to people who know the Bible. Talk to people who know the Bible and act, right? We all can find the person that we can say, they're going to tell me no. We can all find that person. Will you find people that will say, yes, do that. There's no greater joy for you and your family if you do that thing. Friends, may we be a people of balance where we spend time with our families, but also make room for that new person. Maybe it's a need at school. Maybe it's a need at work. Maybe it's a need in your own family. May we not neglect 
one to serve another. That current stranger that you're considering maybe serving or giving to could be an eternal brother or sister in Christ. And God may want to use you. So, let's see, let's feel, let's seek God, and then let's act. And then we have stories like the book of Exodus, where greater things than we could have ever imagined that we ourselves could have done, God chooses to do through us. Many are deeply loved. So, what happens when this occurs? You're waiting, you see, you feel, you pray, you go, or you give, or you serve. In God's power, God gets the glory. Many are loved. And then we are blessed with the joy of serving our God the way he would appoint us to. All right, let's finish the chapter so we can get set up for next week as well. Exodus 2.15. I'm going to reread that verse for us. When Pharaoh heard of it, the killing, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, that was really fast. Like, we don't know if there's moments in there or days or months, but he sat by a well, and the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their flock, their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up for them, saved them, and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it you've come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Like, this is a keeper, right? And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah, and she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Exodus 2.23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. So Moses escapes to Midian. He has a strong heart to defend the weak. At some point, there's a situation with these ladies at the well. Moses goes above and beyond and gets invited into the family, finds a wife, begins his family. And these 40 years are going to be time and space for God to do some work in the life of Moses. Our series in Exodus, as we kind of wrap this up today, it's called Pursuing God. We hear the people crying out. We hear the people for 40 more years in slavery, killings, beatings. And God, the God of the universe, cares about them, hears them, and God has a plan. There will be an exit. Exodus. 
1,500 years later, the main character of the Bible, Jesus, he comes to be the fully developed Moses, if you will, with a true heart that from the beginning sees, feels, prays, and acts. This is what we celebrate. That's what we sang those gospel songs today. And I want to, the last passage I want to read today is from Matthew 9. And it's Jesus practicing this pattern. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus saw the crowds. See. He had compassion on them when he saw them. Feel. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord. We pray. And what do we pray? That there's actions that we send out laborers into the harvest to reach more and more people for the glory of God. So in review today, God's people should make steps to see and feel, and God's people should act in God's timing and power. Here's some questions for us as we move to the table. Number one, where do you need to make some steps? Maybe there's something that's already been forming in you even as you came into the service today. Where are you kind of keeping your hand up because you know if you look too closely, your life might change? Secondly, where do you need to open your eyes and allow your heart to feel? There's an openness there, not just going, but then seeing and feeling. Are you ready for that to take place? Thirdly, are you talking to God and other faithful followers about these feelings you have to get wise counsel? There's nothing you'll give up on this earth that'll be a waste as you give it up for the glory of God. May he display himself through your life. And lastly, Maybe you've already seen, maybe you've already felt, maybe you've already talked to God. You just haven't took the steps to follow what he said to do. My hope is that you will act for his glory, the love of others, and the satisfaction of your own heart. Let me pray for this, for our church and ourselves. God, you're a pursuing God who knows that we are best when we are following you. Father, forgive us for our sins. Not only in some areas of our life we're not following you, we're running away from you. I pray your spirit moves us today to repent, to turn, and begin to make steps to see, allow ourselves to feel, to engage with you, and then to make steps to act and to do big things for your glory. Father, as I spoke today and looked at friends and the, the big things that you've already done through the people of this church. I pray you continue to do that in their lives. 
I pray for others in the room that maybe have not made that step to do things for you at the level that they know they have been called to. I pray this is a church where they can talk those things out openly and seek guidance and know they are in your will. Jesus, we need your grace. We are all nothing without you, but with you, we are sons of the Most High. We are daughters of the King. We are those who have a power beyond anything we could imagine. May you use us for your glory. It's in your name. Amen.